Maine, a place where you can find breathtaking scenery from sandy beaches, ice-capped mountains, and pristine lakes. A place you can enjoy a delicious lobster while sipping on one of Maine's finest craft brews and saving room for a blueberry pie. But the one thing many people may not know about Maine is the artistry and craftsmanship that comes with the culture of this beautiful state. From the Industrial Revolution to now, Maine has continued to build its economy through makers, and there are hundreds of them. Maine has makers that can handcraft a high-quality piece of wood furniture where the joinery fits like a glove. So a skirt made with plant-based fabric with a New England-made machine that was invented in 1881. Make a mean mustard through a cold grind process made in the same mill since 1900, and much more. Join me for a journey through the lives of makers from across Maine to hear how they get down with their craft. I'm Christian Vermeulen, and this is Makers of Maine. I'm amazed at how many events in Maine promote craft. There are so many types of makers in the state. It is going to take me a while to get to interview all of them. One event that recently began its series in September at Thompson's Point in Portland is the Maker's Market at the Point. The event had to make some pivots due to COVID as the vendors are outside and usually they're in the Brick South building. But what I find fascinating about Thompson's Point is that it used to not be a pretty sight as the buildings held trains that needed repair. It was practically a junkyard filled with train equipment and tools. There were many plans to demolish the brick buildings and build a hotel, concert venue, parking garage, and much more. But those big plans fell through, and the town of Portland decided to take baby steps. Baby steps that led to a point that promotes Minecraft. There is Bissell Brothers Brewery, a creative studio where you can paint ceramics, and a soon-to-be children's museum filled with history and promotion of craft. And, of course, this event that happens at least once a month in the fall into the winter. And I think they've done some summer events as well, but this year uh, they're definitely leaning more towards the fall into the winter. So stay warm, my friends, when you go to this event series, as a lot of it is outside. (laughs) I got to be a vendor at the event this past September and interview three makers that all have different ways of crafting and share unique stories. Moving forward, I'll be interviewing a few makers at this event to learn more about their craft. I also encourage you to check out the guests on this episode's booth at the event. There are three more market events this year. Uh, One is November 22nd, December 6th, and December 20th. So there's plenty of time to get your Made in Maine holiday gifts. And speaking of holiday, I will also be rolling out a couple of my own Maine-made gift guides to give to my listeners as well as social media followers and really just encompasses ideas of how to go about gifting the Maine way. Uh, So stay tuned. Please follow along social media as well as please subscribe to my e-newsletter. That's something new for my podcast. And I will be letting you know how I'll be rolling out those gift guides in the future. So now for our first guest for the Maker's Market series is the Cultivated Thread with Hilary Crow. Hilary has a huge passion for hand weaving. The colors she uses to piece together to form a product are beautiful. She has quite the eye for putting together a masterpiece of a collection. So let's jump into it. Let's talk craft with Hilary Crow from the Cultivated Thread. Kick off our Thompson's Point series today, we have the lovely Hillary from The Cultivated Thread, correct? That's right. That's awesome. It's so nice to have you, Hillary. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So tell me, um, the first question I usually start off with all my guests is, uh, what is your craft and what inspired you to start it? 
Yeah, I am a hand weaver. I use a relatively small floor loom, um, and it's it's a very hands-on pro- uh, process. Um, and my main products are dish towels uh, or kitchen towels, hand towels, things for drying things, mm-hmm. and scarves. And I do mm. make a few other things, um, but but weaving is what I do. Wow, that's amazing. So. Are there particular uh, fabrics that you use when it comes to the weaving process? I really like to use natural fibers. My my background before I really got into weaving mm-hmm. was in farming and mm. organic agriculture, and that plays a huge role it, in in my current work. Yeah, it, I, it really built a foundation for everything uh, everything that I do. So working with mm. natural fibers is important to me. I've uh, recently found a really lovely organic cotton mm-hmm. that um, I'm excited excited to be using because Great. my my favorite product is the dish towel. Uh, and for scarves, I do use a lot of different animal fibers. So alpaca is really nice, very soft. Oh, I'm sure yeah. that sounds lovely. Yeah. Now, are were you uh, are you from Maine? Um, tell me a little bit more about your background before you started the business and just tell me the whole story in the way beginning. Was it in Maine or was it before Maine? Yeah. Uh, I feel like I could go on forever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm from Minnesota originally. I grew up in the Twin Cities. I was very much a city girl. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I went to, um, uh, had a bit of an alternative schooling. I went to a Waldorf school for through like seventh grade and that that education is where it all began for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what influenced like every career choice I've made. Um, we we were taught to uh, really value any any handcrafts and mm. working with the hands, yeah, and also community. So like I learned to knit before I learned to read. Um, wow. <laughs> That's impressive. <Yeah. laughs> um, and, and so starting, you know, in first grade, I started to develop this love of working with my hands and mm-hmm. making, making products and problem solving and working with, you know, my classmates on projects. And that, uh, through many turns, <laughs> uh, led me into farming, which is what I did for 12 years. Mm. And while, uh, in, when I was farming, um, I, uh, I love growing vegetables the most, like working with plants is absolute magic. And I worked with animals some and they're lovely too. Um, <laughs> uh, but plants was, uh, what I really loved to take care of. And I would always, at the end of the year, at the end of the growing season, which is like not when a farmer's work ends, even if they're a vegetable producer. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, especially in Maine, which is where I farmed, uh, when it starts to get colder and the plants start to die, I would transition into weaving. Mm. And so weaving was this winter meditation for me, which I had originally learned how to do in like my my elementary school years because of Waldorf. Wow. Um, and so for many years, it was just what I did in the winter. And uh, I just loved it more and more. And so I've transitioned into full-time weaving and 
uh, a full-time business. Wow. That's, that's part of the story. (laughs) (laughs) Now, did you start this over in Minnesota and then brought it to Maine? Uh, I started, I started in Maine. Yeah. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, I've been in Maine for about seven years now. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, started, started here. (laughs) Nice. Nice. And whereabouts in Maine do you live? Uh, I'm in Bath. Okay. Yep. And I have a little studio, um, located right in Bath and, um, I don't have a storefront open to the public at the moment, but things online and right. Oh, that's great. Lovely events like the maker's market. I'm sure. So tell me, like, give me a day in the life of Hillary. So how do you go about the process of weaving and crafting these beautiful pieces? I mean, when I looked at your website, your pieces are phenomenal. I can't wait to see them in person today when I go to your booth because it's so much better to see them live and in person. I mean, the pictures, you know, don't really tell a story. And that's why I'm so glad that this podcast is able to tell that story. And I'm talking to you today. So let's hear about the process behind yeah. weaving. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um. So I start uh, usually while I'm doing something else, thinking about color and what, how will colors look together and how will they blend. And the blending part is really important because side by side, um, they might look really nice together. And then when they start to work together in a pattern, mm-hmm. it can turn into um, mush or um, like not something nice. (laughs) (laughs) So I spend actually a lot of time just like imagining colors Mm -hmm. and then, uh, and then the process becomes, um, a bit, uh, like less imaginative and more like literally calculated. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of math. So I think about, okay, what am I making? How big does it need to be? How much will it shrink once I wash it and then calculate to make sure I add extra to account for shrinkage. Um, is it going to be hemmed or have fringe? I have to, I have to imagine the finished product, right? which, uh, sometime it's a, it's, I think it's very good for my brain. <laughs> it's like a little bit hard to look into the future sometimes. Do you sketch it out first and then that kind of helps formulate the idea before you start crafting it? I, depending on the piece, I do sometimes do that. And I definitely, I still have my colored pencils from my Waldorf experience. Wow. And I do a lot of like, okay, how are these colors going to look together and drawing them out and looking at ratios of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I do like sketch things on graph paper often to figure out um, patterns. Hmm. Um, yeah, the... It's very, I've tried to explain how a loom works and it's maybe a little too abstract for me to do a good job explaining, but, uh, graph paper is very helpful. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. (laughs) Um, yeah. So that there's a color piece of things and then just like measuring, 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 like at the end of the year, I want to do a big summary of like, I wove this many pounds of fabric and measured out this many miles of thread um, because there's just so much. You should. (laughs) I would love to learn more about those statistics because I'm sure it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a lot of counting and measuring and then a lot of things that spin in weaving. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just like all these tools that spin. Yeah. Um, 
Tell me about these tools um, yeah. that you use when in the spinning process. Yeah. So uh, one of my favorite tools that um, is great for efficiency because all these products are made fully by hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they take time. And right. uh, well, time costs money. Yes. Um, so <laughs> I'm always looking for ways for a product to maintain the quality um, while also somehow gaining something in efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, so one tool that's super helpful for that is called a warping board or war- warping reel. Hmm. And it um, it's a device that uh, you could imagine almost like a barrel that has um, like an axle running down the middle mm-hmm. and it, you can spin it. And it's a way, and I wrap the these threads that often need to be like 20 yards or more long individual threads. Uh, I wrap them around. It'll go, it'll measure upwards of 25 yards. Um, And because it's spinning, you can move it really fast and it's like more ergonomic and right. um, How long does it take to set that up? Uh, well, I, let's see, I got another tool um, (laughs) that allows me. So I'll need of those 20 yard long threads for Mm -hmm. like a towel I'll need like maybe 400 of them and they all need to stay organized because this is where you set up the color Mm -hmm. um, and how big your stripes will be and you can imagine like 20 20 yards of thread if like they get into a little knot it becomes very problematic very quickly oh I'm sure so oh my goodness there's no way <laughs> I, I hate it when my jewelry gets tangled up in a knot so I can only imagine when thread gets tangled yeah. up in a knot yeah. it's very exciting too because I have two cats um oh, geez. they love this they love this part of the process they're very good they're very good for the most part but they do they're um totally captivated by the sw- spinning thread oh I'm sure um <laughs> so this other tool I got allows me to wind at one time maybe 20 20 threads so if I were to do that to get one warp ready which is the name of the thing that I'm that I'm describing mm-hmm. of making right now um probably takes mm, maybe an hour wow um to do that part of it, uh, there are all these distinct steps in creating a project. And so that one distinct step, um, I think about an hour. Jeez. And then after you go through this whole setup process, then what's the next step after that? Then, um, very carefully and without any feline help, I (sighs) take all of these threads that are counted and measured Mm -hmm. and in a very particular order, um, to the loom. Mm -hmm. And the next part of the process is dressing, dressing the loom. And altogether, it usually takes me like maybe three to four hours to do the, those, the steps that are involved in, uh, in dressing the loom. But sometimes if I do hit a snag or a cat gets involved, (laughs) which really doesn't happen that often, but sometimes it does, then it can take a little longer. Um, but each individual thread has two distinct places it gets threaded through. So that means if I'm making a piece that has, that's 400 threads wide, I've handled that thread now at least three times, like once in winding the warp, once in what's called slaying through mm-hmm. the reed, which governs the distance between threads. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once be, 
once uh, going through a heddle, which is what governs the pattern, the wow. ultimately the pattern of the weave. Wow. Oh, my goodness. It sounds like a lot of steps <laughs> that go into this. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's fun. Um, it, you know, I mentioned farming and like farming is truly, truly my love. Yeah. Um, and I'm just always thinking about the ways that the weaving work that I do and the farming that I've done are similar. And one of the things about farming or one of these things that is similar is it's like equal parts art and science. Right. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Now <laughs> I'm going backwards, but were you good in math when you were first getting <laughs> into this? Cause I can only imagine like, you know, the ways you have to rule out things and measure things and all of that. So were you, were you pretty good at math when you were younger? I, I think I was average at math. I don't think I had any Well, I'm luck. sure your skills are a lot more advanced now going through this. Oh, my goodness. I have to say, like, oh, the math side of things, yeah, I definitely make some mistakes. And I'll be weaving something. I'm like, why am I not done yet? And it's like, oh, because I made this error. It's too long. <laughs> yeah. So how long from beginning to end does it take to make well, are you making one piece or multiple pieces when you're going through this process? Yeah, I because the, um, the measuring of the warp and dressing the loom mm -hmm. are these, uh, it's sort of, if you make one thing out of that warp or you make 20, the amount of time for the prep doesn't change very much. Gotcha. So I always try to make as many of that one thing mm -hmm. as I can. So when I make towels I typically have about 20 at a time gotcha um to again just to help with efficiency yeah oh that totally makes sense yeah now and you probably don't know the statistics off the top of your head but I'll ask it anyways so how many pieces have you made thus far in your business it doesn't uh, have to be exact yeah um <laughs> <laughs> well I think if I let me think of it in terms of this year, because that will yeah that sure will be a little bit easier for me to calculate. Mm -hmm. um, I've made at least a hundred and fifty towels, although that's not right because I make them in units of twenty. Um, <laughs> speaking of that, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, that's an estimate, and that's a, that's a lot. I mean, that, it's so interesting. So. How did uh, people come to find your business? Like, was it through grassroots? Um, did you have some marketing kind of strategy behind it? How did people find you? I, you know, I did it on the side. It's just like, I love to make these things and functionality and art are really important to me. Mm -hmm. Like, let me share that a little bit. Right. Um, and, uh, and then it just, it just grew and that it was really well received. And so just went with it. <laughs> so in so much that, um, like I just started it on my own and because I had the infrastructure, um, it, I was really, and I'm in a really lucky position. I was able to, to take the leap. Right. Um, well, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Hillary. It was great chatting with you. And I look forward to having more conversations in the future about your business. And I really want folks out there who are listening in to um, come to the Maker's Market at Thompson's Point. Will you be here at future Thompson's Point events this year? I will. Good. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. crossing our fingers that it will continue in the midst of the pandemic and everything. But uh, I feel like um, you have to go visit her lovely products. And I can't wait to go visit your booth as well. Yay. Great. <laughs> right. Thank you so much, Hillary. Thank you. 
I will link her website and social media handles in the notes section of the podcast. Next, we have JP Quilts. If you haven't stopped by their booth, you need to, as they have one-of-a-kind quilts with the designs of cardinals, main theme designs, and their Halloween quilts are just amazing. And the quilter behind all of the pieces is a frontline worker. It's his full-time job, so this is just a side gig. Now, let's talk craft with Jamie Boulay with JP Quilts. Okay, now we're on to our second guest of the Maker's Market Thompson Point series. I'm here with Jamie. Jamie, it's so lovely to have you. I saw your booth with your quilts, and they're so fabulous. Thank you. I appreciate you being here today. Absolutely. So tell me, the first question I usually start off with is, what is your craft, and what inspired you to do it? Sure. My craft is quilting. Um, I find it incredibly relaxing and it is my my downtime um i make anything from quilts to table runners to pillows to pretty much anything fabric related um but i i mostly concentrate on quilts um from baby quilts all the way up to queen um what what got me started in it was by coincidence, a friend said, hey, let's go take a class at Pulton Adult Ed. And I said, I don't want to take a quilting class. <laughs> and I did, I, I've sewn pretty much all my life, so I knew how to sew and everything. So I said, all right. So we took the class, and um, there, I, I loved it. I absolutely fell in love with quilting. Um, and from that point on, my friend only made it through the first class and never signed back up. And... <laughs> Then within a couple of years, there was eight of us that seemed to be signing up for the same class over and over again. Mm -hmm. And we became a little packed. Um, And we now still quilt together after 12, 13 years. Um, A couple of them have left because of health reasons or other reasons. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But we still, there's still about eight of us. um, And we quilt about five weeks five times five weeks a year so about 25 weeks we quilt together once a week um but we are um we're 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 called the the fantastic eight and (laughs) so we have an instructor who um has always guided us and given us projects but the the wonderful thing about her was that over the years she's teached us a technique not a pattern Hmm. so with that being said you know one class we learned 16 different ways to make a flying goose square wow um but by the time we were done we could pick and choose which was the one we liked um but we also had enough squares that we could make a quilt out of that class Mm -hmm. so instead of learning pattern she learned teaches us techniques Hmm. um and then we are um given the opportunity to go with that and figure out which which is the best for us right so um we've so then when I started at my job there was a craft show and I used to make quilts for my family and friends Mm -hmm. and stuff and then people started asking for quilts would I make them stuff and then um I had the opportunity to do a craft show at my job a holiday show and it went very well and very successful and that was kind of the catapult for me to get into this as a um, business hobby, hobby yeah. business, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I love getting out. I love the interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of shows where I see the same people. I do have a website, but it's pretty minimal at this point. Um, but I have regular customers that come back to the shows that I do just for the specific reason of buying quilts. Wow. Um, I do have a couple signature quilts that I'm known for that hmm. I tend to um, do very well with. Um, so, Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. No, I love it. I love the background of it. So are you from Maine or I, are you from out of state? I'm actually from Plymouth, New Hampshire. Oh, nice. Um, I came up here, summered up here for vacations here and there with friends and family. Um, and I actually came up to college hmm. um, when I got out of, um, when I decided to come to Maine to go to school and life happens and I stayed. That's awesome. <laughs> so what college did you go to? I, I started at USM and then um, I also graduated from nursing school at UNE. Nice. So, nice. so that was good and met met my husband 28 years ago and wow. we're still together. <laughs> and um, I have two sisters and a mom that ended up locating up here as well from no New Hampshire. Way. So oh, I was great. very fortunate where my my family, most of my family came and right. we're all up here now. Wow. So. And as you mentioned, this is a side gig. So your full-time job, you're a nurse. So I, I can only imagine <laughs> how you're doing all of this. Yeah. And so tell me like a, a day in the life of Jamie. So how do you go about your day of just, you know, you're at your nurse and then yeah. you kind of get into your quilting craft sure. and do you do it on a daily basis or do you set some times up to do, focus on that specific days of the week? Sure. Um, well, I'm a surgical nurse. So I'm a, I work in the operating room. I'm a surgical operating room nurse. Uh, and so my my day is getting up, walking the dog, feeding the animals, and <laughs> going to work at 6.30. Um, fortunately, I love my job, and I love what I do. So that makes Good. that piece easy. And yeah. I've been doing it for a long, long time. <laughs> and um, so, and then I come home. I do the, kind of the same routine, feed the animals, walk the dog. And then I, I generally try to go out and do some project. Mm-hmm. Um, with COVID happening and pretty much everything getting shut down for us this year, I kind of set myself a little challenge um, right. back in February, I guess, that I was going to try to make a quilt top a day. Mm. Um, so a quilt top is the actual top of the quilt. Then there's batting, there's the backing, and then the quilting and binding. So... When I say I tried to make a quilt top a day, it's the top is only a part of the quilt. But right. I got to about 175 projects from March until August, and I said, "Well, geez, this is going to—I got to get these actually finished now." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I stopped um, on my daily challenge to get all those done, and I pretty much got—I got about 140 out of the 175 projects completely com- wow. completed in the last month and a half. Jeez. So, yeah. That's a lot. So, but um, you know, there's a, there's a lot that I can do. I I kind of can do assembly line work, piece yeah. work, um, and then by the end of the week I might have seven completed, but I didn't get one, but it was a it was a neat challenge and right. I figured why during this downtime I might as well be productive and try to get my inventory up and yeah. um and it definitely took my mind off of the daily work of I'm sure what was going on in the hospital and the yeah. surgery center to okay this is I'm going to go home and zen out <laughs> yeah I totally get it I'm, yeah. now do you do all of your quilting at your home I do 
Wow. I do. So I am fortunate that we built a garage a couple, about 10, 12 years ago. And I've kind of usurped the entire garage and yeah. second floor of the garage for pretty much all my quilting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great, though. A, a car has never parked. In <laughs> so, so how many quilts have you made thus far? Oh, probably over a thousand. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And how long does it take? Well, I guess it depends on the size of the quilt, right? Parts. So like average, like how long does it take to put together a quilt? Um, what? I would say the from from start to finish, mm-hmm. probably it could take me two days. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, from start to finish. Oh my god! And fortunately, I have enough supplies that I I was fortunate that I didn't have to run out and get a lot of stuff to go shopping and right. during this time. But the it, you know again, it takes the how much time am I just doing a patchwork versus am I doing an intricate right. cutting, piecing, cutting, piecing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, but yeah, I, I tried to do, if, if I really needed to, it would be like on a Saturday or Sunday, I could do a quilt from start to finish in a day. Wow. If I had the day off. So I know you mentioned earlier that you have specialty quilts that you are known for. Tell me a little bit about that and sure. then how you go about the craft of making those. I'm really interested. Yeah. So I'm, I, I started years ago, I created, I made this small, or smaller quilt, but it had lots of uh, about 10 by 12 trees mm-hmm. as the theme for each block. And within my group of people that I quote with, I don't necessarily always, I don't like small. I, mm-hmm. I don't like working in small scale. So then I looked at this block and I said, well, that would be really neat, just one large lap quilt of this just one block yeah so then I had to figure out how to make it from a a little 10 by 12 block to a five foot block (laughs) (laughs) and um and did I have cutting space to actually cut these pieces out and um so it's it's the the actual quilt is the shape of a tree Mm um the top two-thirds is the triangle with the with a background and the bottom is a trunk with um fabric on either side of the trunk mm-hmm. and when those get put together it's a, it becomes the tree quilt but I also found that there were certain fabrics that tend to be people would buy more mm-hmm. and cardinals everybody loves cardinals oh, and yeah. they're very traditional and they mean a lot to people and mm-hmm. there's lots of meanings about cardinals that people gravitate to. So a good portion of the quilts are based on um, cardinal themed. Hmm. Um, and those do really well and people just, and I made a lot of like Christmas themed quilts and I realized that with the holiday quilts, they're fun, but they're limited to that season. Right. So I've tried to gravitate away from it being specifically a holiday theme to a seasonal mm-hmm. versus winter versus yeah. fall. Wow. Um, so people can utilize them longer. Right. Makes um, sense. So. And what types of equipment do you go about um, using when putting together your quilt? Like I know uh, my mother-in-law, she is a quilter mm-hmm. as well, and she lives up um, towards Lincolnville area, yep. and she is a big part of a quilt group up there as well. And 
Um, I believe she, what she does is she kind of puts the patterns together and then she sends it to a quilter to go about the quilting Correct. process. So do you do both? I do. Okay. So tell so, me about that. So the first piece, like I said earlier, the, the actual top, I'm, I'm piecing that together. Mm -hmm. So that's piecing a top. And then when you have the top completed, then you can worry about your batting and your backing because mm -hmm. there's no, no sense of worrying about that until you actually figure out what the, right. your, your top is going to be. So when you get all three of those situated, the, the, the top piece, the batting and the backing, I fortunately, six, six years ago, seven years ago, was able to purchase a used long arm machine. Hmm. And what the long arm machine does is it takes all three layers of your quilt and it, you put each layer on a roller and you are able to bring it up and sandwich the three layers together. And mm -hmm. that's the quilting. Yeah. And my machine is 12 feet long and I'm able to do about a foot and a half to two feet um, of the, the width of a quilt at oh. a time. Right. And then when I'm done with that, I roll it onto back rollers and then I do the next section hmm. and I go back and forth, back and forth. Wow. Um, I would never be able to um, do shows or sell, sell my quilts if I didn't have that. Right. Um, it's very expensive to send quilts out to have them professionally quilted. Yeah. And you would never be able to get the um, cost back right. of of actually making the quilt and then sending it out and then trying yeah. to sell it uh, unless you're on a scale of there, you know, there's certainly some people that their quilting is, their quilts are um, very much sought after in art quilts and, right. and they could certainly afford to send them out and have them professionally quilted if, right. if they don't already have their own long arm machine. Wow. But it's, it's a space commitment <laughs> yeah I'm sure um do you um professionally quilt other people's I or do you just focus on yours I, I just do mine only because I I work full-time as my regular job mm -hmm. uh, this is still my I guess hobby mm -hmm. even though it's also a business but because of because sometimes I just need to be able to walk away and not do anything right also I really have I would be completely upset <laughs> if I if I didn't do well on somebody's somebody else's quilt. Right, right. Um, I have sent my quilt out to somebody when I was early on, and it came back not what I was oh. expecting, and I was devastated. Yeah, and, I'm sure. Um, I I in my in my heart I would be off devastated if I did that to somebody else right. and not know about it. Yeah. Or if I did know about it and I'm like, oh. I know. Um, <laughs> I don't so understand. I, and also I, I, I don't want it to be put on a time commitment when someone says, oh, I, can you get this done by Friday? And I'm like, well, I, I can't. Yeah. Well, we need it done. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I tend not to. Yeah. Um, and um, I've allowed a couple of my quilt group to come over and use my machine. Yeah. Oh, um, that's nice. So with that, but it's, it's limited. Yeah. Um, and do you find that when you're going about crafting a quilt, there must be some art to it because you have to like really think about the design and the patterns aspect yeah. to it. So tell me about sort of the most challenging or the most fun, really. I feel like yeah. sometimes ch most challenging can turn into a fun project sure. um, that uh, you've done. And tell me about the process behind the design. What was sure. going through your head? So I, I had an opportunity years ago. I was actually at a yard sale, and it was somebody who owned a shop. 
uh, a import shop locally, and they were going out of business. But it was it was some Indi- Indonesian batik sh- sarongs that she had bought, oh, but they nice. weren't cut out yet. Hmm. They were just the fabric panels, and they were about two to three yards a piece, and there was about five or six. And I just I loved them, and I bought them, mm-hmm. and I kept them probably for six years because I just couldn't wow. I couldn't give myself to cut them up. Right. Um, and we were working on a quilt in my class that it was also a pattern that I wasn't loving. Mm-hmm. But I said, you know what? This is the day. This is the quilt that I'm going to make. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to use that fabric, that batik for, and I'm going to do this project. And it ended up being still to my day the most treasured quilt that I have. Right. Um, the and it's it's very um, it's it's very busy, but it's such a lush, beautiful quilt. Um, and interestingly, when I was ironing, I wasn't there was there was raised stuff on the fabric, and I just wasn't getting it. But it yeah. was actually the wax where they dyed the batiks were still on it, which prevented. So when I was ironing, all the wax was melting off. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> But it was it was just it ended up being a beautiful quilt. I, it was a pattern that I probably will never do again because it just wasn't yeah. something that I loved. But um, the quilt itself ended up being wonderful. Wow! Um, and it's just there, and I look at it often, and I just think, "Wow, I made that!" Yeah, that's great. <laughs> you kind of look at back, and you're like, "Oh my goodness! Yeah. Like, look at all these beautiful quilts yeah. that I've made." Thank you so much for well, your time, you. Jamie. I appreciate it. Um, please go check out JP Quilts. Um, I'm assuming you will still be at every um, Thompson's Point Makers Market event for I the rest so. of the year. <laughs> yeah, I know. Fingers crossed, right? Um, but thank you again, Jamie. I Absolutely. greatly appreciate your time. Great. Thank you. Thank you to Jamie for being on the podcast. I will include more information on where you can find Jamie at craft shows around the state. Now, last but not least is Benoit Design Co. Greg and his wife, Christina, showed up in a shop on wheels to the event. <laughs> it was quite a remarkable setup. And they were telling me that they built this really a van into their Benoit shop. And it's just you have to see it for yourself. So you need to come on out. <laughs> um, they are a lifestyle brand, but are well known for their dye sublimation, cutting and laser engraving. I learned so much from Greg, such as how his family has a family history of crafting apparel, and he is taking his family brand to a different level. Now, let's talk craft with Greg Benoit with Benoit Design Co. All right, so this is the last guest that we have a part of our Thompson's Point Makers Market today. Greg, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. So the first question I usually kick off with all my guests is, what is your craft and what inspired you to start it? Well, we uh, our craft is a little bit of uh, everything. We do a lifestyle brand um, based around laser cutting and dye sublimation technology. So we make a lot of different products, um, whether it's home decor and gifts or whether it's apparel. Um, we've run a business um, in the last couple of years where it was uh, about 50-50 service work for local people mm-hmm. um, as well as uh, our own products. Um, and so we've focused a lot more recently on, on building that product portfolio, doing a lot more design and development on um, the laser design and also the dye sublimation. Wow. And yeah. where are you located? We're located in Westbrook, Maine. Okay. Right on uh, Rochester Street. Nice. Yeah. So. 
do you have your studio inside your home or do you have a separate facility? We have a standalone facility. Um, mm-hmm. It's about a 6,000 square foot facility, so it's a pretty good sized facility. Um, we have a little storefront in the, in the front of the shop as well as um, manufacturing in the back of the shop. So mm-hmm. everything's done in-house. Um, wow. Everything that we sell and make um, is right done in that building. Wow. Yeah. So tell me a little more about you and your lovely wife. Um, so, like, are you both from Maine? Like, how did you start this business? So, um, no, we're both. I'm from Maine. She's from Florida. We met oh, uh, wow. We met at art school. We both went to uh, Savannah College of Art and Design. Oh, my gosh. No way. Yeah. I've been down there, and oh, I yeah. love that area so oh, much. Yeah, it's such a great school. The city yeah. itself is incredible. That's Savannah, awesome. if you have a chance to visit, it's it's incredible. Yeah. Um, but we, I, I graduated with an industrial design degree and um, came up here and worked for a company for several years um, until um, I decided to make uh, a move into starting my own business. Um, And Christina was an interior designer. So she joined the business a couple years ago um, as we decided to put all of our eggs in one basket and wow. go in on this business. So she, she's um, been a, uh, her background is in, in commercial in, interior design and mm-hmm. mine was uh, footwear and industrial design. And so wow. we started this business with the idea of trying to create a uh, avenue for people to access the technology locally um, by pr- providing a service and also being able to use that technology to create our own products. Wow. Yeah. So do you do your own collection and do you do custom work for other people? We do a little bit of both. Um, a lot of our product that we do is is done by us and we are doing all the design in-house in terms of um, developing products that we see fit and what we want to do going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're also designing and developing product for specific clients, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's a corporate client or whether it's, um, you know, for different events going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it all, it's all, every week's a little bit different. Um, right. We, we uh, try to do as much as we can um, mm-hmm. where there's a little bit of uh, potential to play around with different projects you know it's it's fun to have something that's not quite your own right always your own so you're able to play around with someone else's um brand and identity so we we spend a lot of the time developing products and and services um for people whether it's um, promotional gifts or whether it's um signage those those sorts of things in terms of the service work um But we end up developing mostly in the in the last couple of months, especially with COVID going on. Um, we've been focusing solely on our own brand. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. So, the process of how you go about crafting these particular items—can you tell me, kind of like in full detail, step by step, of how you go about crafting one of your pieces? Yeah. So um, it depends on what the product is. You know, the it, everything's done through Adobe um, in terms of the artwork that we, we develop, Every, it, whether it's hand-drawn and then brought into the computer or whether it's done directly in the computer itself. A lot of the product that we create is CAD-based. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's um, it's product that is designed, whether it's in Illustrator and Photoshop, but most of it is in Il- Il- Illustrator where we're creating um, products that have to be vectorized for the laser. Um, we... Um, spend a lot of time developing uh, CAD so that it's um, multifunctional. So it's mm-hmm. also being able to um, engrave and also cut at the same time. Right. So in terms of, for instance, a product like our coastal charts that we sell, which is a very popular chart, mm-hmm. our, our product that we sell, um, 
it started with a raw material, which is birch, um, a Baltic birch, which is a, we choose to do that because of the grain of the, of the wood is very consistent. Um, and so we start with a raw material. We sand it down so it's um, ready for paint. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we paint that material. Um, and then when we have the artwork generated, we just laser engrave that um, painted wood material. After cleaning it and going some some finishing processes, we mm-hmm. end up um, basically having the finished goods. So we end up finding um, ways to um, do processes within our uh, organization that are fairly streamlined. Um, we've we've learned that overcomplicating things um, sometimes throws too many variables okay. in the mix. <laughs> I'm sure. And so we we like to try to keep things as simple as we possibly can. Yeah. And the the wood um, is something that is able to be um, multifunctional. Mm-hmm. So we we use. Um, wood to cut a lot of our products as well, um, mm-hmm. whether it's our coasters um, or our bud vase stands that we sell now currently on our website. Yeah. Um, so everything that we do, um, it starts from a raw material, whether it's um, the soft goods for our dye sublimation, even we start with a, a whole bolt of fabric and we cut and sew um, our patterns into creating our products. Wow. So Sounds like you guys are doing a lot. We do a lot <laughs> for a small team. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And tell me about your team. How many people are on your team? Uh, it's just four of us. So wow. there's uh, there's three designers, um, myself, my wife, uh, Christina, and we have another uh, designer. Named, uh, his name is Justin. And then nice. we have a, a superstar uh, who uh, is runs the show over there and is our administrative person, um, Karen. So she's She's a superstar, and we appreciate everything that she does to help us uh, oh, I'm sure. run the business. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And how do you guys go about finding your raw materials? Are they mainly sourced here in Maine, or do you guys look elsewhere for your materials? We try to um, we try to strive to carry everything that's U.S. based, um, and everything that we sell um, and make and manufacture on is is U.S. grade material. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of Maine based products, uh, we try to support as many local distributors of those raw goods, mm-hmm. whether it's our wood products um, in our in our um, soft goods. Um, yeah. But it, it's tough sometimes in order to try to find the right distributor oh, sure. to, to give you that right material. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've we've had to outsource a couple of our products to the West Coast. We, yeah. we buy from California as well as um, a, a, a company out in Washington for um, some of our other products. But wow. uh, we try to keep it as U.S.-based as we possibly can. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So tell me more about your products. So what do you guys go about crafting for your own collection? And tell me a couple of products you've done for custom work, too. Well, um, for custom work, we do um, we have this really uh, recurring um, client that we do a lot of uh, marking in terms of um, uh Signage for uh, Revision Energy is one of our bigger clients mm. in terms of our corporate um, gifting, uh, not gifting, but um, our corporate signage. Yeah. Um, we end up doing a lot of um, their uh, interior signage, whether it's um, infographic signage speaking to all the benefits of solar energy. Mm. Um, oh, we, wow. So that's one of our clients that we do, as well as um, we service another uh, main made maker. Um, their names are um, Brent and Cochran. They're, oh, yeah. I axe, didn't realize that. Axe manufacturer. So we engrave all their axes and put their logos on all their axes. No so way. They were we, a guest on my podcast. Yeah, yeah. So that's those guys. cool. Yeah, Steve and Mark and yeah. everybody. Yeah, oh, they're, they're, they're so great. great. Yeah, oh, yeah. such good people. Yeah. So, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, so we, we, we're a little bit connected with everybody in terms yeah. of how we 
we we're, we're trying to be a resource to let other businesses uh, prosper too. So Great. in terms of in terms of custom work, we're always open to um, bringing on other projects, especially if it's going to help someone else out uh, later down the road in terms of growing their own business. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and then in terms of our own products, um, the most recent product that we've been developing, which we're really excited about, is um, some more soft good wearable products mm. and getting into doing something that is a little bit more tactile and, and functional and getting away from doing just a home decor. Yeah. Um, so we're in the process of developing uh, a hat, scarf, um, headband and, and a bib line mm-hmm. um, for the holidays oh, cool. and the win- in the winter uh, season. So yeah. we're in the process of working with a uh, local uh, com- community uh, organization called Sewing for Seeds of Change, where we're mm. going to be hiring some immigrant uh, people to come in and become uh, our oh, sewers. Wow. So we're really excited about that Good. as well. Good. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear that because yeah. I feel like that's something to give back to the immigrant and uh, you know network. And then also you're pretty much, they're being taught to be, you know, sewers and getting yeah. into that craft and to kind of accelerate that into somebody's company that's really cool yeah that doing and, and, that. and again a lot of them too are coming to us um coming to america with so many skills that they're not able to right. utilize um because of their networking and their yeah. ability to um connect with different organizations so this is giving them the opportunity to um and you know, find work and to find consistent um, abilities to use some of their expertise that they've had in their past to right. to excel and to be able to provide for their families. That's great. Yeah. I'm so happy to hear yeah. that. So that's really exciting for us. Good. Yeah. So anything else that new that's going on um, in your business? It sounds like you have a lot going on. But we're, is there anything else always, you want to share? We always, yeah, I know. We've always got. We're we're guilty with you know always having our hands full with a bunch bunch of different things. Um, in terms of uh, new products and stuff, we're always developing and developing new um, ideas. Um, in terms of the latest and greatest thing that we've been working on more than anything is uh, a new branding approach and a new uh, website. So we've we've oh. launched a new website um, recently in the last couple of months and have kind of just been testing the waters to get it to uh, to be where we want it to be. So that's mm-hmm. been our, our biggest uh, excitement, uh, exciting Good. news is, is doing that, as well as our new pop-up truck that we have. That I we know. Today, I love really, seeing that really truck. Really exciting. Uh, I know. Yeah, so, it's beautiful. Yeah, we had a lot of fun outfitting it. Yeah, oh, I'm yeah. sure. So did you guys go about, um, so like, tell me the process of how you guys went about like building this truck. <laughs> I don't know. One, one of the days, we've been looking for something that was going to be mobile, um, able to um, show up to some of these um, crowd shows and be able to open up and sell without having all this set up so um, one of the days we we've, we've been looking around and we just happened to stumble upon this this truck and we oh, were cool. driving by it and Christina yelled stop quick <laughs> we gotta get that <laughs> That's awesome. so we immediately stopped and we bought it that there that day and um, had been working on it all all summer to fix it up. It had some wow. s- significant uh, repairs to be done to it with all the main elements that right. you, we live in. Right. Um, so we we were able to get it set up, and this is our first show with the truck. So we're super excited and to see yeah. people's reactions. And oh, I'm sure it's uh, it's very exciting to have a mobile unit outside of just our storefront in Westbrook. 
That's great. I love that your products are so Maine themed and just around the state of Maine. um, Between, you know, the original Maine like state flag, kind of with the star and the pine tree. And then you have the Maine state on there. And then you have some other like nautical themed items too. And where, how do you guys come up with the designs? Is it really truly inspired by where you grew up or is it other things? Um, Well, it's, it's a little bit of, uh, of both. I, I, the, the Maine state flag stuff is a little bit, um, based off of just people asking for the motif mm-hmm. we've just were doing we created that because of our customer was wondering whether we would do something for that so nice. we tried to do as much as we could with that um but not overdo it because right. i mean it's all over the state which is exciting but um in terms of the other products we try to gear it towards um people that uh, live in an adventurous lifestyle so um, people that um, are weekend warriors, people that are uh, looking f- to, um, ex- you know, explain, not explain, but to, um, to uh, what's, what's the right word, to sort of uh, have this uh, mantra in their lives mm-hmm. to sort of become um, this uh, active um, sort of explorer and to, to be um, someone that's constantly... Um, looking to um, have something that resembles their lifestyle and their hobbies. So mm-hmm. a lot of the products that we've created recently has been designed and, and geared towards people's uh, special hobbies and what yeah. they find um, you know, cl- meaningful to them, as well as um, you know, in terms of our maps and stuff that we sell, those are intended to be um, locational-specific products that are bringing um, in a, a sense of emotion to someone through, um, you know, that, that, that's that area that may have a particular meaning to them. Hmm. So that's nice. uh, it's, it's all, it's all been derived from um, a sense of joy. Yeah. Um, so something that in, in, in elements that you know, resemble a sense of joy with people. And that's so, sort of what we go after is trying to have something that's fun and, yeah. and whimsical. We do are in our gu- guilty of, um, producing a lot of main based stuff just because we're our main company right. and people love the main product. So oh, yeah. we can't, we can't get too far away from that, but <laughs> we're trying as much as we can to try to get ourselves a little bit outside of Maine too, and yeah. to try to be, um, be seen by other people outside of, um, the new England area. Nice. And it's, it's all about family. You know, the whole, the whole sense of the Benoit's and the whole heritage of the brand itself stemmed way back from the early 1900s with, with Benoit's being in Maine for uh, men's clothing and, and women's clothing and being a resource for, um, you know, prep schools and, and outfitting kids for um, for school in terms of their, uh, you know, their go-to uh, clothing for, for the season and stuff. So uh, there's a lot of Maine history with the, the, the name Benoit's and the brand Benoit's. Um, so it's interesting to take that and to carry it on. And we're, we're very... Um, honored to do that. So um, Benoit's have been uh, a part of the main history for over 100 years now, selling products and selling um, goods through the main community up until the 1990s. So being able to reinvigorate the brands and launch it as a, a new um, take on what we want to become in terms of a, a, a company that also services people, but also and being a sense of community, but also um, providing high quality products and continuing that sort of 
belief that the old Benoits shared is is being uh, is really important to us. Yeah, I'm sure. So, so did you um, used to shop at Benoits when you were younger? Like, how I did was, that? Yeah, come? I was. I I barely remember it. I was so young that um, I was probably four or five when they closed. So wow. Um, we all of our all my cousins uh, and I grew up with um, the stories of the old Benoits and wow. and wearing you know the hand me downs from all <laughs> the all the uh, years of us holding on to right. special items from the stores themselves. Wow. So um, we we have a bunch of history within our shop itself of the old Benoits no way. as well as um, you know the the main his, uh, historical society has um, a lot of history in, in terms of the, uh, the the history of Benoits and stuff. Wow, right? yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. So did are the Benoits <laughs> still, like, around? No, the stores are closed. There's still a lot of family around. There's a lot um, of family. Oh, there, cool. there's, um, we have a family member that has another small boutique down in, in Kennebunk that sells oh, cool. um, still some clothing. Hmm. Um, they're still uh, part of the, of the same Benoits family. Yeah. Um, so... Um, it's, it's, it's in terms of our generation, um, um, we are the only ones, um, but it's exciting to be able to carry on that message and that, and that, sure. and that, um, that branding, um, yeah. and, and history that Benoit shared. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I did not realize you had such quite a history with that. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that yeah. tidbit. That's really cool. Yeah. So the last question I usually wrap up my interviews with is really why Maine? Why start a business in Maine and has it really affected your business at all? Maine, Maine is, um, yeah, I mean, you start a business in Maine if you want to make it more difficult for yourself. <laughs> right. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> in terms of why this, why start in Maine? I mean, why not? You know, Maine is incredible as a state. Um, we, they, it offers so much in terms of beauty and, and resources and even the people within the state of Maine and the, and what makes um, a Mainer a Mainer, you know, um, we strive ourselves on being um, makers and to be able to put forth, you know, quality products that mm-hmm. are timeless and, and, and right. resonate with people. And I think that there's a sense of joy and um, a, a, um, being proud of what you do as a Mainer. Yeah. Um, and um, being a part of that community within um, uh, our you know, with the, with the world that we live in now is I couldn't be more proud to be in the state yeah. in terms of representing it and being a part of it. Um, but, in ter- you know, it's there's so much that the state has to offer that um, we would be, um, you know, I would I would uh, be. Uh, sad to think of any other state that I would be a part of than not than the state of Maine. I think that, that there's a lot of uh, opportunity that you could go outside of the state of Maine and, and you know, sell outside in the larger cities and everything like that. Right. But there's really, there's a certain... Um, uh, meaning that you get, um, and, and being able to have that lifestyle and to, to go off and be, go on those adventures that you can't necessarily go on and, right. and having a balance of life is that's, you know, that's what it's all about. And, yeah. and so, um, I'm happy to be a part of and help, help represent it. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank Greg. You. It was a great interview. Thank you for yeah. talking. Thank you for tuning into Makers of Maine. And thank you to Greg for being on the podcast. All three of these wonderful makers will be at future makers markets. So feel free to stop by, get yourself a Bloody Mary and shop local. The event goes from 10 to 3. 
And I will be there selling my shirts and saying hello to my listeners when I'm not interviewing folks. If you would like to see visuals of these wonderful products, please follow the Makers of Maine Instagram and Facebook. If you enjoyed the start of this series and other episodes on this podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Facebook. Now, on to our musician is Coyote Island. Mike O'Hare is the instrumentalist and songwriter behind Coyote Island. He is originally from England and vacationed in Maine with his grandparents when he was younger. His parents bought him a bass when he was 13 and has been playing ever since. This is his first single, Here Before. The song was inspired by meeting his fiancée at a full moon bonfire party. He arrived late to the party and was experimenting with some uh, psychedelic plant medicines. And it was quite the night, I believe, is what he was telling me. And uh, so it really just best captured his experience and the feeling of going places for the first time and wondering why it feels so familiar. Um, I will definitely link his website as well as social media handles i think you're gonna love uh, his old music as well as his new stuff that he's recently launched um so i look forward to hearing your thoughts around his music thank you so much for tuning into the podcast and stay safe and healthy keeping track of the days i sing losing count of the ways i bring my love to you It was a night where we met in June Lucy on my mind but my eye on you In the firelight Looking my way with your eyes so blue I had the feeling of a love so true Ain't hard to see
I've been 